Good morning, Freedom Center. Good to see you. We're going to start a new series this morning. Hope you guys are ready for it. We're going to be dealing with a lot of, uh, well, obnoxious things like that. We're going to be dealing with, with the brain and the mind and the heart and the Bible and where science and biology and anatomy and physiology kind of converge. I, I have always been a huge fan of science. Before I was a believer, um, my, my mind was lent towards science. I was an atheist, and so you have to have something to believe, something that seems consistent, something that seems grounded. And I, I went directly towards the scientific road. I remember being like five or six years old. I was able to read, but not much. And someone gave me the Guinness Book of World Records. How many of you guys remember the Guinness Book of World Records? And I remember finding uh, something about a guy named Louis Leakey, Dr. Louis Leakey in Olgabai Gorge in Africa, who found the oldest human remains, something he called Lucy. And it was a little piece of skull, but somehow he built a whole human being out of it. And it's, it's kind of an interesting process. They found a tooth one time, called it Arkansas Man. It's like no man in Arkansas has more than one tooth. I guess where the name came from, I don't know. It's actually where the toothbrush was invented. I don't know if you knew that, but otherwise it would have been called a teeth brush. But what they ended up doing was I got so interested in sciences that I grabbed a shovel and went onto my father's landscaping and began to look for human remains. He, I almost found my own. Like, he was so mad because the flowers were in the way and the rocks were in the way and the mulch was in the way. But I remember, I remember being so interested, and I found a fossil and thought that I had found, you know, like some ancient civilization, and it, it was great. So I've always had a mind towards science, and sometimes science and Christianity don't like each other. You may or may not have noticed. There seems to be a little controversy. You say, yeah, scientists. No, wait, we actually started that. The church actually started the, the thing. Somebody said the earth is flat. They happened to be a, a bishop in the church or a cardinal or a pope or whatever. And scientists said, no, the earth, she's around. And, and they said, no, it's not. And then, like, there we're burning people and imprisoning people. So now that, you know, my, man, the mind of man is a little more enlightened, we go, okay, the world is wrong. Wait a minute, the church was wrong. Well, now the shoe's kind of on the other foot. How many guys know that the church doesn't behave themselves when they're in charge? Eventually, they're not in charge. And when they're not in charge of the culture, in charge of the sciences, in charge of the arts, in charge of politics, we usually take the beating we once gave, and it's good for us. I got one that's right, and the rest are like, I don't like this. This doesn't, I thought this was going to be, I thought this was a happy house. So uh, I just, I just want to say this. So this year's seminar, we're going to be looking at science, because I believe that good science and good theology are actually really good friends. They confirm each other. Matter of fact, a lot of what is modern scientific discovery is ancient biblical knowledge. Things like, you know, life is in the blood. We knew that about 3,000 years ago. Science discovered it about 50 years ago, 150 years ago. So you go, oh, thanks for catching up. Things like the world being round. The book of Job clearly says that the world is round, and yet there's this other thought that it was flat. Like when, when good theology and good science get together, there's a great conversation. We're going to have that conversation this summer. So the name of the series is Mining Your Mind, and we're going to go over topics like that. Today is just to get you started. We're going to go over topics like today where biology and theology overlap, the physical organ of the brain versus the nebulous soul. I think already like, oh, I, I was hoping you'd talk about the nebulous soul today. Um, the imperative of absolute truth as the foundation of your reality. Actually, our brains do not work well when, when we say something's true, but we know it's not. When, when we have an absolute truth. Let me just give you an example. How many guys realize that back in the day, our parents watched Walter Cronkite, and he said, and that's the way it was on this date. And, and we listened to him because that was actually the way it was. Now we listen to the news, we go, I don't think, well, that's probably, that's a bias, well, that's a liberal, that's a conservative, that's a Democrat, that's a Republican, that's just an angry person. So today we look at the news very differently to the place where we don't really trust any of it, right? Like there, if where there's anything that's fallen from grace in my lifetime, it's the news, because it's not news anymore, it's commentary. 
There was a fire on this corner at this time. That's the news. There was a fire, and it was set by Donald Trump. That's not news anymore. That's, that's, it was set by the Democrats. It was set by the, and let's, like, listen, we, we have lost our trust in the media because they're no longer trustworthy in the meantime. But it's very, you have to be careful because sometimes we look at Scripture the same way. I thought the Bible was true, but then I had something that I, it's hard to reconcile my life with my theology and what do I do with it now. So the imperative absolute need for truth that we believe is absolutely true is, is foundational to the way our brain functions. Um, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. Look at this. Right behind your eyebrows, there's a part of your physiology that gives you this unique ability that, as we know of, nothing else in all of God's creation, all of God's living things, has the ability to do this. We actually get to stand outside of ourselves and ask ourselves questions and put ourselves on trial or a thought on trial. We can say things like, before, I got struck on the cheeks. Man, I'm going to, wait, wait, wait. Count. How many of you remember your grandmother telling you to count to 10? There's actually a lot of wisdom in that because during that, that 10 seconds, unless you're counting really fast because it was your sister, can I get a witness? Like, oh, 10, you know? Um, when you, during that set, you can stop and say, is this the right thing to do? If I do this, what happens? Will I get grounded? Will she get grounded? Will they, how do I? And then we can actually pull ourselves outside of ourselves, look at ourselves, judge ourselves. We can, we can put new information in. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. Last time I this, did this, this is what happened. And it was hard, and I don't want to do it again. So we can come back to ourselves, kind of back into our body, if you will, as our first person versus the second person eyebrow thing. You still here? And we can, act, we can literally say, I have judged it, and I do not give it authority. That thought does not have a place in my life. Isn't that beautiful, right? Continuity of narrative versus cognitive dissonance. Say, those are great words. I feel really smart. I can't spell them, but I I can say them, right? Um, We are learning something about the human brain. You may have heard this, uh, disassociative disorder, where if a child does not bond with a caring adult by a certain time, until 1979, the common thought was, the universal thought was, if certain chemicals are not excreted in the brain, where a human being, as a child, learns to bond with another human being, they go past that season of grace, if you will, and they will never bond with a human being. And so we have what we call disassociative disorder, where um, an adoptive parent or a parent is no dearer to a child or to an adult than any other human being they just first met, because they, their brain never learned to connect with another human being. We learned in 1979, proof, um, awards, peer-reviewed papers, that that isn't true. But what's imperative is this. It, it isn't like the, the, the whole thing has to be redeemed. In other words, Christianity has this unique thing because God designed it this way. Jesus gave us this brain, gave us this ability to reason. So we can't say this isn't true, this isn't true, this is, this is, this isn't, this is. And so it's all true. We literally have to say, this is where our testimony comes in. That was wrong, that was hard, that was bad, that was tragic, but he's the God of my entire story. He redeems all of me. How many of you guys know your sins are forgiven and forgotten by God, but your story still belongs to him? Sins are gone. There's some consequences. Part of my sin was, was credit card debt, right? So Jesus forgive me. I looked at my credit card statement the next day. It was still set a big number. So there's some consequences in the natural world. But as I lived in the supernatural, God got rid of all that credit card debt. So what I'm saying is this. When you see what he does, when you know who he is, when you know who you are, there could be an exchange where a 90-year-old man who has never bonded with another human being, can give his life to Jesus and learn to love as if he were a child. That's the resiliency of neuroplasticity or how our brain is able to move things. Look at this. We're going to talk about being transformed by the renewing of your minds. Part one, replacing the old, developing the new. We're going to talk about a 28-day cycle. I know that made some of the guys nervous, but hear me. By simply taking thoughts captive, 
planting a truth next to the lie and, and thinking about it deeply for 7 to 12 minutes a day over 28 days, literally, physiologically, we could do microsurgery on our brains. We'll get into neuron paths and, you know, uh, basal ganglia and all this stuff. You'll understand a little bit more. But understand this. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to go to part two, new thoughts, new neuron paths, cells, and even reprogramming our genetic material, epigenetic. So beneath the genes, beneath the DNA, we can turn on and off different parts of our 750 million strands of DNA by stressing ourselves out and becoming sick, by trusting the Lord and becoming well. Literally, we're going to see how the Bible's way to live is the most healthy way for all of us, not just in our, in our bodies, but in our souls and our spirits. We're going to talk about habits, repetition, reflexes, and neurological muscle memory, how to keep renewing and how to keep being renewed by the transforming of your mind. We have some guest speakers. Pastor Kyle Jones is going to be in the house. You guys ready for that? We're going to have Sheriff Chris Swanson. I don't know if you know Sheriff Chris Swanson. He, he's a multi-time um, Ironman triathlete. Uh, but if you don't know this, he was a little fat kid that was picked last for kickball and had glasses. No, that was my testimony. He didn't have glasses. Everything else was true. But now, he, he literally, he believes some things. He got solid in a few things. He figures some things out. One of the most disciplined men I know. He's going to be on the stage telling us, probably in interview format, how, how he went from being the fat kid, the C-minus student, to being the, the sheriff of Genesee County and a multi-time uh, Ironman finisher. So, and we're going to take it one step further. Everybody say further. Oh, we got other people. Oh, oh leadership coach Desi Maynard is going to speak on this stage. He's a huge football playing, does a lot of coaching with the staff, and he'll have diarrhea for a week before he stands up here to talk to you. It's going to be so nerve-wracking. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun for me to watch Jesse like, I don't know what to do. So, you know, he's going to do awesome. He will. But we're going to take it one step farther. Let me introduce you to something we're calling Thursday night application. Um, Thursday nights have been our midweek service. And you might remember kind of through the years how midweek has been good, especially in the summertime, because if you're going to go up north but you still want to go to church, you can come to Thursday night and then go up to the cabin or see grandma or whatever. Well, now uh, our live stream has become so, so, so good that people just like, well, I'll just watch it up at the cabin. I got a uh, text message. A friend of mine was looking for him. I didn't see him. Hey, how's it going? He goes, I'm looking at Lake Superior, and I'm watching the sermon at the exact same time. In the middle of nowhere... I get live stream and I can watch it from my property. Like nothing is better than seeing God's creation and hearing God's word. I'm like, yes, it is. Being in church is better. <laughs> okay. So at 6.30 on Thursday nights, we're going to take the Sunday morning message. We're going to go from inspiration, teaching, because there's going to be a lot of teaching, a lot of big words. How many of you know hearing it but not living it is incomplete and insufficient? So from inspiration to application. We're going to figure out how to do this. So think of my role on Thursday nights, not as the teacher. I will not be reteaching the sermon that we spoke on Sunday morning. We're going to, I'm going to be leading you through exercises of applying it. And we're going to do it in the following way. As you show up as families or as, you know, singles or as, you know, whatever, whatever you are, that you're going to check your kids into their area, nursery through high school ministry, will have food, dinner, waiting for your kids. You, yes, somebody didn't have to cook. Yay! Gluten-free, air-free, Water-free, just a glass of water and be thankful. That's what we're going to have, swamp water. So there's some, some calories in swamp water. And when they get in there, they're going to sit down, they're going to have their thing, and from 6.30 to whatever, they're going to eat the same things in here. We're going to have tables set up, and you'll sit at the table of your choosing with the people of your choosing to things like, oh, Pastor Carl's smoked meats. Things like, oh, Pastor Jason's imitation of Pastor Carl's smoked meats. Just kidding, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I don't know which one's better, but I say we find out this summer. I say we have a contest and voting and stuff. And then at 7 o'clock, we'll eat from 6.30 to 7 in here around the tables with our friends, 8, 10 people at a table. 
and memorating the word. In other words, I'm going to say, this is what we said about this. Now, at your table, discuss this. What are the five things? What are the two ways? How would you see this? Rephrase the scripture in a, diff- into a, into a, a different translation that you come up with as we go through the original language words. And you're going to go from inspiration to application for the month of June. Somebody say amen. Food, people. We said, you know, what do you guys need? And some people said, you know, I, we want to get involved in a group, but all the groups that have childcare, they fill up like that. So if, you don't, if you're not signed up day one, then there's, no, there's nothing for, like, our children. And, you know, we don't want three-year-olds running around the family room when we're trying to do a Bible study. And so, like, we just kind of hang out of groups. But we, as young families, we need friends. How many of you guys know we don't need to be a friendly church? We need to be a friendly church that can actually help people make friends. So that's going to happen. All the children's ministries will be going on, all the youth ministries, all that will be happening. But in here, as adults, around a table, and I want to say this last thing. I know it's like, is this all part of a sermon? Kind of. Um, it's to get me excited, and I already was. So, plus... Tim Horton's extra-large coffee is not the right thing to have just prior to preaching. And then coming in and drinking out of our cafe, that well is caffeinated well. The well, well of caffeine. And, uh, but I, I, I think this, that up until the printing press was developed, all Scripture was digested in community. It, it wasn't my Bible and my devotion during my time with my conclusions. The, the verses were read, and elders sat and discussed, how do we carry this? That's what Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke is, is how do we, you know, love your neighbor? Well, who's my neighbor and how do I love him and who decides what love is? And that would be decided in community. So I think that scripture today, the best interpretation of scripture is not done with me by myself in my closet, even though that time is precious and valuable. The best interpretation of how to apply this is done when I'm with other believers that are trying to do the same thing. Thursday night, 6.30 to 8 o'clock, hard stop at 8 o'clock. I don't care who's talking, they're done talking because we got to get kids in bed and work the next day. But 6.30, we're going to have food. 7 o'clock, we're going to have spiritual food. 8 o'clock, we're going to go home and say it was good to be in the house of the Lord. You ready? All right. That starts this Thursday night, so don't miss it. Um, also, so do we have to reser- reservations? What about social distancing? You can sit as far away from people as you like, but we don't have, like, the usual protocols. There's no need to, like, register. Um, I said, what if we run out of food? Dina said, that's why God created pizza. So you get here a little bit late. It's Peter Piper for you, Jack. That's all I'm saying. Get here early. Somebody's smoking something. That's the motto for Thursday nights. <laughs> Thursday night application. Quote, somebody's smoking something. That'll get the right people here. <laughs> Amen. So today, I do want to get in the Word. I, I want us to see the future because I think buying into it early is important. You don't want to miss a Sunday. You don't want to miss a Thursday. But I, I do want to say this, that we're going to get in the Word today, and we're going to start in Romans chapter 12, probably the, the, one of the cornerstone verses of understanding how powerful the mind is. And it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? And then he says, here's the fruit of it. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's, let's break that down. The first word's conform. And you might see uh, the word schematic. Schematizo is, is the, the Greek word which nobody cares about. I put it up there because I want us to see the word schematic so you get an understanding. Uh, it means to conform oneself, their mind, their character, morality choices, to another's, not yours, but to another's pattern to fashion oneself away from one's creative purpose. Now think about this. The world has a plan for you just as God has a plan for you. Do you see that? Turn on the TV set, turn on the radio, turn on the news, uh, talk to your neighbor over the fence, and you will find out that God's way is not the only way to consider today. There's a lot of plans out there. Conformed speaks specifically about the journey away from. Everybody say away from. Away from your divine purpose. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You can't forget it because we talk about it every week, right? You are. Everybody say, I am. 
God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for me to do. So you are, it wasn't like he created you and had to find something for you to do. There was something that needed to be done, so God created you to do it. Now, this conformity, the being pressed into this mold, it leads us away from this. It speaks of the journey away from your divine purpose. It, it makes you, it tries to make you, it's the plan to make you what you were never created to be. If you think about it this way, there were people living free in the Horn of Africa 300 years ago, and suddenly some people show up, and then there's chains, and there's a boat ride in the West Indies, and they're a slave market. Their life was meant to be one thing, and then there's this other plan, this other schematic that came in, and they were enslaved. Moving up a little bit closer to, to, to now, um, pornography, drugs, alcohol, those sorts of things that when, when you end up giving yourself to those things, the purpose of your life going one way, suddenly that is thwarted. You're, you're compressed into a mold that doesn't, it, it feels right, but it isn't right. It feels wrong, but it doesn't feel wrong. It, it's, it's a very complicated thing, but you know when you're on the right track and you know when you're not. You know. You know that when you buy that car just to make your neighbor happy that you don't like you might have done something wrong. Anybody ever bought something and kind of went, hmm, maybe I should have done that? Anybody? Yeah, lying in church on Sunday morning Christians. <laughs> Never. That's why the law gives you like, what, like a three-day grace period to change your mind about buying a house? Like you bought a house on a whim? It's a house. It's something somebody lives in for like 30 years to pay it off. Yeah, I changed my mind. Like I, I get that. So what we end up doing is we can find ourselves as free men being conformed into something that God never created us to be. And I think it starts really early. I remember, and this sounds dumb, but I remember being like junior high school. I remember elementary school and the cafeteria gymnasium norium, you know, the room that had to do 17 things, the gymnasium cafetorium, where the tables that folded into the wall that you could play basketball off but then folded out as tables. Remember that? And it smelled like 70-year-old women wearing fish sticks. Remember that? That room? combination of junior high sweat and fish sticks, it's never good. But I remember, I, I remember that uh, walking by the table, it had the cool kids at it. And if they whispered as I walked by and they all chuckled later, it's kind of like, what's hanging on my, I don't, what am I, I don't know what, I, you know, but I remember that, like, if you're not us, you're not nothing. You get that? So this is it. When something or someone puts pressure on you to shape you in a way God never intended you to be, you are being conformed. There's a schematic. There's a plan for your life that is pushing you away from the plan that God has for you. So don't be conformed. Everybody say amen. So what's the alternative? God never leads us out of darkness without leading us into light. We don't just leave Egypt and walk around and die in the desert. There's a promised land to go to. We go from death unto life, right? So we're coming out of conformity. The understanding that God wants you to be something and the world wants you to be something. The world's plan is to press you into its mold to make you its slave. God's plan is to liberate you to make you his son. And it says this, do not be conformed, but be transformed. I'm going to try to say the word right. Metamorpho. Literally, it's like metamorpho, right? To, and it means to transform, literally or figuratively, to metamorphose, to change from a, a polywog to a frog, from a caterpillar to a butterfly, to change, to transfigure, to transform. So remember this, just as conforming led us away from what God wants us to do, transforming leads us towards our creative purpose. Boy, you got to hear this. Please hear me. No matter how successful you may be, no matter how many degrees, no matter how many accolades, no matter how many awards, no matter what success you've experienced, hear me. If you are not becoming what God has created you to be, there will always be an emptiness because God does not put grace on imitations. God does not put grace on actors. God puts grace on sons and daughters and heirs. God will never make you content when you arrive at a place you were never created to be. 
So even if, you, if I'm the best, I got the most, I got held the record for it, but I'm still empty, you might want to ask the question, am I doing what God created me to do? There's a plan. There's a way that the world has to move us and shape us there. Now you're the senior vice president of depression. Congratulations. You clawed your way to middle management. Good job. Good job, right? But there's another way, and not that it isn't, isn't middle management or whatever it is, but to have this ability to wake up in the morning and go, I'm me. I get to live as me before my creator. I get to be who he made me to be. So just as come form, let us away from God's purpose. Transform leads us towards it. Transform speaks of the journey towards your divine purpose. This is Israel being set free from slavery. They used to be slaves. Boom, God says you're free, and they're free. There's this journey, but they are free. They're being transformed. It's an inferior version of ourselves or a perverted form of ourselves being transformed, moving towards our creative purpose. It's uh, phrases like born again or maturity or growth or uh, purpose, wisdom. These are all phrases that speak of a journey towards living as that way. And how do we do this? We're going to spend the whole summer here. Everybody still here? I got five minutes left. You guys good? He'll give me five more minutes. Come on, 10, 15, 20. Good. All right, good. 20 should be enough. Pull up the pants. Motivational speaker, Chris Farley. Here we go. All right. This is how we're going to do it. Ready? Do not conform, we know that, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. We know that. And how are we going to be transformed? Say it with me. By the, by the renewing of our minds. Now, we would do well to stop for a second and recognize the power, the preeminence, and the importance that Paul has just placed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, on the power of our mind. Now, again, in 1979, the first works were, were peer-reviewed and accepted as fact. But it took a long, long time. Like all science, it takes a long time to kind of reprogram the journals, reprogram the textbooks, reprogram the, the people that teach it. But under, understand this. In 79, the primary thought prior to that first study that came out, peer-reviewed study, Harvard study, neurological, all this kind of stuff, hear me. It, it was that you were born with a certain brain, and that brain predetermined your decisions your feelings, your choices. Literally, science has said you don't have free will. You're a, a machine filled with chemicals and impulses and electronics, and you are what you are, and you can't change it no matter what you do. Some people are born to be disciplined. Some people are born to be slobs. Some, some people are born to be soldiers. Some people are born to be vagrants. You don't have any responsibility in any of your choices because literally you don't even have a free will. Is that nuts? Well, then throw away the prisons. Well, no, we have prisons, to, you know, not to punish people, but to keep them out of the way of people that were programmed to live better lives. So criminals are amongst, you know, the righteous. It, it's, it's so silly. Hear me. The Bible says no such thing. The Bible speaks of being transformed, of being born again, of having a new start. So why is, why is this so groundbreaking that the mind is actually a separate entity from the physical brain? Number one is this, because the Bible said it thousands of years ago. The Bible, it confirms the Bible has always placed the mind in this non-physical soul. The soul being the mind, the will, and the emotions. We see in the writings, it doesn't say that, but it talks about the mind of Christ and the mind of the spirit and the, your mind and being conformed by the mind of Christ. So we, we see that the mind is in the soul. Uh, in the, so the body, the soul, the spirit, and the soul contains the heart, the will, and the emotions, the memories, all that kind of stuff. So hear me. When it says this, you guys still here? Science goes, hey, guess what? We can't explain the mind. There's a physical organ called the brain, but there's this other thing called the mind. And literally, the mind is somehow separate, like the mind actually programs the physical physiology of the brain. What's the mind? We don't know, but it's not in the brain. It uses the brain, but the mind is not the brain. The brain is not the mind. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, that, I didn't, but I said it, all right? It means we are not pre-programmed slaves to our biology. 
You have a free will. It means that our minds are literally over the physical matter of our bodies. Gee, it's so much fun. (laughs) Harvard Medical College published paper in the last 12 months says this. Hear me. 75% to 98% of all illness, three quarters to, to only like, 98 out of 100 has its genesis. Now, hear me. If you're dealing with with rheumatoid arthritis or chronic disease, cancer, I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm simply saying this. The study shows that where where this disease most often begins is actually in our our souls. It begins in our minds. In other words, just give you a quick example. If I am always, always, always stressed out, what organ will give out eventually in my body? My heart, right? And and, and if I am always, 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 um, you know, unforgiving, bitter, what, what consequence would there be to the physical body if I'm always just tensed up and adrenalized and angry and what, what would happen to my body? Anybody know? All kinds of stuff, right? Alzheimer's is one of them. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis would be another one. Literally, the Bible says bitterness rots the bones. Isn't that interesting that 3,500 years ago it observed something inspired by the Holy Spirit that we're now proving today that unforgiveness has a physiological effect. See, I, I don't know if that's true or not. This is what you'll believe. I'm going to hook you up to electrodes, put a breathing apparatus around you, put your finger in a thing and ask you a question, and you're going to lie to me. What happens? What, what can we measure just by the, the reaction of the body to something that's not true? Can we measure it? It's called a polygraph test. And if you measure what's being measured, elevated pulse rate, dilation of the pupils. I, I used to interrogate prisoners, and it, it really helps me when I do marriage counseling now because a lot of the techniques, <laughs> literally true. So what do you think? They look down to the right. Well, I, I love her. It's like, oh, you broke eye contact. Like, you look up into the right. You're thinking about an answer. You look down on the right. You're actually giving me an insincere response. We don't lie well. That's why poker players, professional poker players, put their hats and their sunglasses and a mask on. Because people can, we, we physiologically change in a destructive way with the simplest lie. So what happens when we believe a lie, when we live a lie, when we embrace a lie, when we worship a lie? Hear me, guys. Uh, again, we're going to spend the summer talking about this, so don't draw any conclusions like, so you're saying, I have a chronic cough, or I have cancer, leukemia, I, I have arthritis because it's like God's punished me. Not at all what I said. But understand this, as our mind goes, as our spirit goes, our body will follow. And so let's just give it one more little thing. If 98%, 75% of illness has its genesis in my mind, then where is the solution for most of my physical problems? We take chemistry to change things like brain physiology, which, which makes good sense, right? Because this other one, it, it means that we can take any thought captive, put it on trial for its life before it's allowed to become who we are. We can examine ourselves, or I said that. But it means this too. We get to choose choice by choice who we are becoming physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Here's some good news. PTSD, depression, anxiety, illness, uh, and fill in the blank with other things, addiction. There is a cure. And the Bible told us 2,000 years ago that if we want to be transformed, we don't transform our body. We don't just get born again in our spirit. We are transformed by the renewing of how we think, what we think, what we meditate on. If we'll invest this summer, Sunday and Thursday nights, so it isn't just Sunday I heard the message. Hearing the message but not applying it is like, like learning about aerobics but not working out. Look at me. I am an expert in this area. And it was a mean laugh. Hurt my feelings. Paul said it this way. He said then. Everybody say then. 
If you take the thought captive, and you go, be in a, if, if you are no longer conformed, but transformed, if you, then when, when you know this, remember the Bible has not yet been written in totality. The Old Testament is, but the New Testament's being written. And he says this, then, how, how do I know what God's will for my life is? He said, you're, you, who you are, your creation and your creator will have a conversation. If there's peace, you'll know you're on the right track. Look at this. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What's good, what's pleasing, what's perfect to him will be decided by this. Thursday night, we're going to go over this a little bit deeper, actually a lot deeper, and you'll be leading the discussions at your tables to have that as we eat something that Pastor Carl smoked. I almost did this as he, as he smoked, as he smoked, all right? Um, let's end with this thought today. Piano guy, join me if you would. Uh, Tozer said this. I think he plagiarized somebody else, but, I, but it, this is the essence of that thought, is that the most important thing a man or a woman can think about is what they think when they think about God. Let me say it again. If, if your predetermined reality, your, your bad theology, your, your hard experience leads you to believe that God is distant, unkind, untrue, unfaithful, then you alone face a very dangerous universe as, as an orphan. And that will lead to all kinds of stress, yes? All kinds of sickness, all kinds of issues. Are you with me? But if you face the universe as a beloved daughter, a beloved son of an almighty God, you get to live a very different reality than the person that has no God. So when you look to heaven and say, God, are you there? If you see God going, yep, I'm here. You will live differently than the man who has understood scripture, the grace of God, the love of God. God, are you there? He goes, yeah, I'm right here. Same answer, but a very different tone. Does that make sense? Is God there? Yeah. But is he ticked at me? Is he waiting for one more sin to play whack-a-mole with my destiny? Or is he actually cheering for me like a father cheers for his son hitting a little league ball for the first time? It wasn't that emotional, but it was good. I, I may use this example too often, but there's always new people, so my jokes become funnier as time goes on and my stories are always meaningful <laughs> to me. Um, but one of my favorite just truths is contained in this, this beautiful family documentary called Vacation with Chevy Chase. And he's going to take his family on a vacation. They buy this horrible green exploded Frankenstein station wagon. And they, they go cross country from one side of the country to the other side of the country. And along the way, a dog gets tied to the bumper and drugged to death. Aunt Ethel, or whatever her name, dies and they roll her up in carpeting stick on the roof. It's, it's tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And finally they arrive at their destination, Wally World. We're gonna play in Wally World. This, he, Walt Griswold has, has this dream that he's gonna have his family ride that roller coaster. They get there and it's closed for repairs. How many of you guys know the smell in the station wagon after day two anyway, right? With, without the dead dog and grandma. I'm just saying, like, it just smells like Doritos and petrified French fries and Billy's feet and all that kind of stuff, right? He's like, That's, I smell food, but it was yesterday's. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That smell, right? It's been processed. And, and, I, and he gets there, and they kidnap John Candy, who's a security guard with a BB gun. And they, can, and they put him on the, on the roller coaster. Well, sitting in the front seat of the roller coaster is Rusty, Walt Griswold's son, Rusty Griswold, and John Candy, who plays a security guard. As they're going up the hill, Rusty's excited. 
he's like, this is going to be great. This is awesome. You know, Walt has the BB pistol pointed at John Candy's back so he doesn't bail on him. And as they come down the hill, the shot is the whole family, but all you see is, is Rusty and John Candy. John Candy does the most hilarious. He's terrified. He's nauseous, but he's doing it in such a funny way. You can't help but laugh. And Rusty is like, yeah, the car, this is great. And John Candy's like, like he's screaming, he's terrified, but it's really, really funny. And, and the thought occurred to me, as all good movies produce scriptural truth when you're looking hard enough for it. <laughs> I asked myself, why is John Candy having such a terrible time and Rusty's having such a good time when they're both experiencing the same thing at the same time? Because guys, we do this all the time, don't we? You go through something I don't understand, I go through it, you go through it, you're like, yeah, isn't God good? I'm like, you're crazy. You're out of money. You're having marriage problems. Your, your dog is sick. Your mother-in-law is coming to visit. I mean, life's tragedies are unfolding before your eyes, and you're happy about it. Like, what's, what's wrong with you? But there's this faith that goes, yay, yay. And I'm next to her going, right? The, even though they're experiencing the same thing the same way at the same time, here's the difference. One believes that the person who made the roller coaster knew what he was doing, and this is to be enjoyed. Yeah, there's going to be turns and twists and it's too fast and you're going to experience G's and weightlessness. But the other one doesn't believe. The other one goes, man, at any minute, this is all going to fall apart and I'm going to die. One is literally struggling to survive and the other one's having the time of their life. Why? Because one trusts the engineer who made the roller coaster and one never will. I am here to tell you, this summer, we can be transformed. We can change our reflexes. We can change our impulses. We can change our conclusions. We can take scripture and our reality and we get rid of the inferior things and plant the good things in our heart. So that when something happens, we can go, yes, God is good instead of God, where are you? My whole life's about to blow up, hear me. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life, but you can't find it when you're being conformed and led away into something you were never created to be. It's a transformational process, and that transformation is not by getting bigger biceps. It's not by getting a smaller belly. It's not by getting what the transformation. There's a physical transformation. Nothing wrong with it. Envy it, and all of you that have it, I'm, I'm angry at. Okay, but there's a there's a there's a there's a mental transformation where we get new reflexes, where faith comes out instead of fear, where holiness comes out instead of lust, where Jesus comes out instead of me. So, Father, I pray that this adventure. This ride, this summer, God, we would find ourselves on the receiving end of just truth bombs all summer long that blow up imaginations. Anything that stands against the knowledge of God inside of us needs a truth bomb dropped on its head. And we pray that today, as we look towards this next three months, may we emerge into the fall different people than we are seated in this room watching on that live stream right now. May we set our sights high, believing that you're the author and you're the perfecter of our faith. You got it all under control. You built the roller coaster. All things are working together as we speak, as we sit, as we listen. All things are working together for the good of those who love you and have a calling on their life towards that same purpose, those good works, those, those meaningful tasks. And God, I pray, may we not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. May basal ganglia begin to explode because they're no longer useful because new basal ganglia with new truth, new reference points, new neuron paths, things that we don't have reflexes anymore. We have like Christ flexes. We respond the way you told us to respond because we've gotten rid of the old and we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds. There is a new life. There is a new way. There is a new hope. There is a new peace. There is a new power contained in your word as we lead this journey, God, as we follow you, God, towards this new destination of our creative purpose. We 
tear down every thought that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. May the knowledge of God stand and stand alone in our hearts and our minds, we pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Back to the question. The most important thing you can think about God is what you think when you think about him. A lot of people believe in God. Very few people believe that God believes in them. Very few. You can see it in the way they talk, even in the way they pray. God, if you're out there somewhere from a distance, bet Midler theology. Or those that say, God, I know you're with me because I feel you even in my suffering. I feel you even in my pain. I feel you even in my mourning. I feel you even in my sorrow. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. If I can't feel you, it means you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. I will not be crushed. I will not be abandoned. I am yours because you promised and I hold on to that promise. Man's not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that he speaks to your heart. Father, I pray before we leave here today, if there's anything that stands between our hearts and yours, right here, right now, whole process in front of us, but it begins with this. When you give him your whole story, not just today, not just that one thing 20 years ago, but from your first breath to your last breath, he will start working all those things together. Will you give God your whole story? The good, the bad, the ugly. If you need mercy, God, forgive me. If you need direction, God, give me wisdom. If you need peace, God, still my storms. If you need breakthrough, God, destroy the walls that have held me prisoner. If you need to be free from addiction, God, you're the liberating one. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. I will repeat it. I will live it. I will love it until it is absolutely true in my body, my soul, and my spirit. Whatever you need from God today, it is up to you now to reach out. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, those who are here right now could reach out and you could touch it if you reached out. Will you reach out this morning to him? God, I give you me. Past, present, and future, I give you me. Redeem my story. Set me free. Transform me as I renew my mind with you. Will you love him back? It's that simple. Will you love him? He loves you. Will you love him back? Just say right now in your way, God, I love you. God, I love you. I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hi. I feel like I need like a lab coat on and pocket protectors and a, a blackboard that I could just, you know. You heard it, didn't you? Why don't you all stand to your feet and uh, we're going to dismiss robot. No, just kidding. Everybody, we do have the ceremonial Pepsi. We're going to hand down the door. Everybody's going to drink out of the same cup. We're just done with this whole sickness thing. All right. God bless you guys. Pepsi's disgusting anyway. Drink Coke. You are dismissed. God bless you. We'll see you Thursday night.